Uh, for those who didn't get a chance to meet me earlier, my name's John Perrine. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Christian Church, Lincoln Park, and we are very excited to dive in this morning with a series that we've been running this last year. So if you've been with us, you've seen us do this a couple times, where we take a familiar passage, probably one of the more familiar passages, I'm sure uh, most of us have heard of the story of the Good Samaritan before, but we wanted to take it and look at it from a number of different perspectives. Uh, so we want to take the same text and share our perspective, my perspective. I'll go ahead and do a short teaching on the text, and then I'm going to set up two far more brilliant teachers than myself who are going to come and give us a different perspective uh, and sort of see together how we can read God's word. Now, to just do a fun little exercise in perspective, because every time we've been trying to say, why, why would it help to look at the same thing from multiple perspectives? Let me throw an image up on the screen for you, uh, and I want to invite you to guess what you think this is. <laughs> Any guesses? Anyone feeling uncomfortable right now? Like, I don't know where this is going anymore. Uh, that's what I felt when I first saw this image. Now, it may help you to be relieved if we go to the next slide that you are looking at the seeds in a bell pepper. Okay, so just zoomed in perspective. Now, this is kind of helpful because I do think some of what we're trying to draw your attention to is most of us read scripture a little zoomed in, right? We're all reading scripture from our perspective. It can help to zoom back. Now, let's go ahead and just give this a little more fun. Here's another guess for you. What do you think this is? Anyone, any guesses? Anyone want to shout it out? Sugar. Anyone else? Potato chip. Potato chip. We're getting very close. This is, in fact, a flake of cereal. Ah, we're learning things together. It's already a productive Sunday. Um, soft launch accomplished. So we're doing great. Let me give you one more. I think we're, you're just starting to get the hang of this. Any chance you can guess what this final image is? Anyone have a guess? Rubber band. Rubber band. That seems pretty strong. Anyone else? A hot dog. Wow, that's interesting. Um, yeah, well, we'll go ahead and show you this is one of your Italian favorites, pasta. Okay, so uh, here's the point of this series. We want to take a moment to realize there are different perspectives in our own. So in just a minute, you're going to get a chance to hear not only from me, but from Dr. Sam Stevens. We'll throw a photo up. Uh, one of the things I love about community, particularly through our founding pastors, John and Dave Ferguson, who are connected to Christian leaders all over the world, so they have a number of friends who are just incredible Christian gospel leaders. And Dr. Sam Stevens is one of them. He leads uh, a ministry called the India Gospel League. It's an indigenous ministry organization with extensive ministry in three Asian countries. He's got a doctorate. He has nine children. Uh, he lives and works right now in Tamil Nadu, India. And so we wanted to invite Dr. Sam Stevens to look at this story of the Good Samaritan with us and give us his perspective. After Sam, you'll get to hear from another one of my new favorite teachers. Uh, her name is Noemi Chavez. She pastors Revive Church, which is a multi-site church both in the greater L.A. area and Mexico, which is quite cool. So she kind of straddles both areas, has this very beautiful multi-ethnic ministry. She's the co-founder of Brave Global, an organization that builds relationships between girls on probation and in the foster care system with local churches as a way to prevent human trafficking. So uh, two incredible people. You are in for a treat. Uh, and the idea was, I'm going to start to just sort of set the tone to connect with you, maybe a little zoomed in, if you would. Uh, and then we'll go ahead and invite these two incredible speakers through video to go ahead and walk us through the passage. But if you would join me in looking at this passage. Uh, you can find it in the Gospel of Luke. If you want to pull out your phone, feel free to do so at this point. This is Luke 10, 25 to 37. 
It, again, is one of the most well-known and famous parables. In fact, it's so well-known, uh, you probably already have different uh, teachings coming to mind, different places that you've heard this teaching before. You've, you've probably heard something about this passage at some point in your life. And so in order to zoom in with you uh, from my perspective, I, I'll just clear... Clear the air. I am uh, definitely white. Um, that's pretty obvious. I'm sure you could guess that. Uh, I am from the Midwest, so no diversity there. Uh, you've got a Midwestern, <laughs> homegrown and raised uh, son, and I've run through the cornfields. Uh, amen from anyone? Am I got any Midwestern roots out here? Um, and uh, probably, like many of you who have ended up in the city, I'm uh, probably too educated, so I've like gotten too many degrees to compensate uh, for my own desire to know things. Uh, I live here on the north side of the city, which is a very wealthy, pretty segregated, if you look demographically at what's going on over here. But, but that being said, uh, as I come to this passage, one of the things that really strikes me is this initial question that prompts the conversation between Jesus and this teacher of the law. If you look with me at the beginning of this text, you're going to find that the teacher of the law is asking Jesus who his neighbor is, right? The teacher comes forward and says, Jesus, uh, what must I do? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Also love your neighbor as yourself. And this teacher, because he's a lawyer, and no offense to any lawyers here in the room, I know there's a few of you, uh, lawyers like to ask a lot of questions, right? Uh, lawyers can be focused on precision, and so the lawyer, trying to sort of carve out the semantics of Jesus, is going to press Jesus by saying, who is my neighbor? Now, I think this morning that sets us up to ask the question, who is our neighbor, right? Who, who is our neighbor? And if we're following the logic of what Jesus had already responded to this, to this teacher of the law, what does it take to love your neighbor? What would it take to love your neighbor? Now, I, I could, if I had more time, I'd love to spend a lot of time in the parable itself, but just this interaction between a lawyer and Jesus, this question that it prompts, what does it take to love your neighbor? I was drawn, as would be quite typical from my context, to French 20th century philosophy. Is that about as white and as overeducated and north side of the city as it gets? Um, but there's a philosopher who I think is quite helpful here whose name is Simone Vale. Simone Vale. Uh, Simone Vale lived in France right before World War II. She was uh, brought up in this sort of upper crust elite stratosphere of France in the philosophy scene. And Simone was horrified by all the injustices she saw raging across her country. This is post-World War I. Uh, France is a mess, just like all of Europe was kind of struggling, trying to recover. And so she initially threw herself in politically. She dabbled in Marxism. She dabbled in socialism. She was starting to help uh, a ton of causes around France. But the more she got involved politically, socially, becoming more and more active, the more she started to realize she would need spirituality if she was actually going to power her political activism, which is quite an interesting realization for a philosopher to have. And so Simone, as she was wrestling with what to do with all of the injustices that she saw around her, uh, she offered this quote to a friend in correspondence um, that has picked up a lot of traction in the philosophy scene, so I just want to ponder it with you here. Her quote is this, attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. Attention is the rarest and purest form 
of generosity. What she means by this is most of us, when we think about generosity, what it takes to love our neighbor, we assume there's something we can do, something functional. Maybe there's a need we can provide. Maybe it's a financial cost. Maybe we should just serve them in some tangible way. It's almost transactional that we're like, okay, if I'm going to love my neighbor, what's the thing I need to do so that my neighbor will experience love? And what Simone says is that that actually probably is getting generosity wrong. In fact, if you ponder true generosity, the rarest and purest form you can offer to someone is attention. Now, I had the privilege uh, just this weekend of being in a wedding of a couple here in our community who just got married. It was really fun. Uh, But it was one of those weddings, if you've all been to weddings before, where you're like connected, but you don't know a ton of the people there. And so you find yourself just in a lot of initial conversations. Anyone else just like not their favorite part about a wedding, uh, walking through the same conversation. But as I've been preparing for this teaching, I just started to notice, started to notice when someone would actually offer genuine attention to me, right? That, like, you're meeting somebody, and I, I, like, I've been to weddings. I've been tired before, too. I have nothing against anyone who's distracted or uh, going through the motions of awkward wedding talk. But you notice, don't you, when someone sort of looks at you and goes, what do you do? Oh, that's interesting. Where are you from? How'd you get here? Oh, fascinating. Could you tell me about that experience that you had? And a couple of those conversations did happen. Now, as I noticed that about other people, my inverse, immediate notice of myself was that I struggle to give attention just as much as I long for others to give attention to me, right? So I started to realize, oh, I am checked out in this conversation. I have stopped asking questions. I'm not paying attention to this person that I've just met. Uh, Simone has one other quote about attention that I find fascinating. She says this, we have to try to cure our faults by attention and not by the will. We'll see if we can throw that up on screen. We have to try to cure our faults by attention and not by the will. Now, why am I talking so much about attention? Well, I want to draw you back to the story of the Good Samaritan, and here's my hunch. Here's my hunch for us as city dwellers, for me as a north side of the city, uh, love it here, love living in Lincoln Park, uh, love being present to all the diversity, all of the needs that are always surrounding us. I think our greatest struggle is not probably just to do good things for our neighbors. It's not probably to just open up our wallets. It's probably that there are many forces at work that are holding back giving our attention to the neighbors around us, whether that is your immediate neighbor who lives with you, who lives next to you, who's uh, uh, living in your apartment with you, even your spouse, your children, your family members, all the way, of course, to those who you encounter on the streets, uh, the people that are in your workplace, those who are either homeless or asking for money that you constantly pass by. My hunch is this, if we could begin to discipline ourselves to pay attention, we would find that the love Jesus is inviting us into, that's modeled off of how the Good Samaritan loved, would begin to flow out of our lives. Now, I'm going to give you three practical ways, very briefly, that we might see this happen. If we could give our attention, I think the first thing that would happen for us is that we would notice our attention begins to open up our hearts. Right? Attention 
opens up your hearts. Because attention actually notices, it sees, it ponders, it slows down with the needs that are right there in front of you. Here's my confession to you. Uh, many confessions. Happy to give all the helpful ones up here on stage that I can. Uh, there, I live over on Ashland and Fullerton. We're right by the 9094, right there on Fullerton. And this last week, my conviction is uh, that there at that freeway, almost every time I get onto the 90, there is a couple with a child that is sitting asking for help, asking for resources, asking for food. And again, I just, uh, we've talked about this story before. I've talked about um, the challenge of figuring out how to keep our hearts open to the homeless, to those who are asking for aid right here in the city. I I've been pondering this couple this last week because I started to pay attention to my attention. And what I began to notice was the first time I saw this couple, my heart broke. Because there's a, there's a couple. They sit there quite regularly. They have a board that talks about being immigrants. And then they have a child with them. The first time I saw them, my heart broke. If I could be fully honest, this is my confession. The second time I saw them, I thought, why haven't they gone to get more help yet, right? Like, why haven't they gone somewhere? This doesn't feel good. And the third time I saw them, I thought, the unfortunate, cynical thought that most of us city dwellers have, ah, well, there they are again, you know, asking for something. I don't have anything to give. I, I don't have anything to give. But, but here's my invitation to you. Uh, the goal in sharing that story is not to shame you, there's a little bit of a goal to shame myself uh, in how I have hardened my heart to the needs that are around me. Here's the question Jesus is asking with this story of the Good Samaritan. How do you open your heart back up again? How do you open it back up when it's begun to close? How do you begin to see people as actual people? Now, think for just a moment with me. Again, not just to all the needs that the city has on display, but think about just that immediate circle of your life. And think about your coworkers, the one you interact with most frequently, think about maybe your boss or if there's somebody under you. Uh, think about your family members, the ones that you interact with quite regularly. And ask yourself for just a moment, in fact, I'd even love to just take a second to pray with a little bit of silence. Where is your heart in relation to those neighbors? Where is your heart? Go ahead and if you're comfortable, just close your eyes with me. Has your heart grown cold? Could Jesus be inviting you to open up your heart to that neighbor? And here's the way you can do it. How might you pay attention? Pay attention to that neighbor in your life. You can go ahead and open your eyes again with me. If the Good Samaritan first opened his heart to somebody who was in need, he saw the man lying on the side of the road as someone who was a person that was injured that he could offer something to in that moment. The, the second thing that the Good Samaritan does that most of us pay attention to is the Good Samaritan opened up his wallet. And as Jesus tells the story, Jesus mentions specifically that the next day the Good Samaritan took out two denarii gave them to the innkeeper, and told him, look after him. When I return, I will reimburse you for any ex extra expense you may have. Now, this is a radical, financially generous act in which the Good Samaritan sacrificed his resources in order to provide tangibly for the needs of this neighbor. Uh, two denarii was about, about two days' worth of wages. 
Now, I was doing a little bit of math on this. Uh, lots of different wages and salary ranges, probably represented here in this room, but two days' wages probably comes out to about anywhere from 100 to a couple hundred dollars of today's money, right? So, so that is not by any stretch, chumps change. But here's the strange thing, and I realize, again, I'm very zoomed in, this is north side of the city perspective. <laughs> as I thought about two days worth of wages, the more I pondered it, as much as I've always been, wow, you know, good Samaritan, he's so generous. I I'm not sure that's actually as much money <laughs> as we fear that it is. Are you tracking with me? Like two days wages to help someone move from death back into life, that that's, not, that's not as bad as it could be uh, if, if Jesus is asking for us to not only open our hearts, but to open our wallets. And so here's just my practical encouragement for you from our perspective here in the city. I'm, I'm not sure the, the cost of being generous to our neighbors is as big as we sometimes fear it is financially. I think generosity to your neighbor could be as simple as buying someone who's having a tough time a coffee or maybe ordering them lunch. Uh, it could be as simple, and I've, I've loved uh, hearing one of our small groups here at our church do this. It could be as simple as going to a grocery store, loading up some uh, lunch sacks full of food, and then anytime you see somebody offering the 30 or $40 of investment that you've put into these sort of uh, support sacks, out to the city. Um, I've also heard wonderful stories of people going to McDonald's or uh, different restaurants and getting gift cards, and then whenever a person approaches them, being able to hand them a $10, a $20 gift card. It's not, it's not maybe as many resources as we fear that it is. That's my second point in opening up his wallet. Let me offer you a final thought. If opening up his heart led to opening up his wallet, finally the Good Samaritan also opened up his schedule opened up his schedule. Now, I think if we could really be honest with each other, this, this one might be the hardest one. Uh, this is actually the real cost that many of us are hesitating to do. And as just a final encouragement to you with this schedule, I think your schedule is a reflection of what you are paying attention to. If you could slow down and notice what's filling your schedule, your schedule is a reflection of what you're paying attention to. And so for most of us, it will require, if we're truly gonna offer attention in that form of generosity that Simone Vale talked about, it's gonna require us to go back to our schedule and to actually create some space, make some room to be available to needs as they present themselves to us. I love the story of this saint named Dallas Willard, who just happens to also be a philosopher. And I'm very typical, I'm very consistent here. I'm not breaking outside of my shell. Um, Dallas Willard lived in California. And he was known because Dallas Willard lived this very prayerful life. Um, there's a story of a pastor who went to visit him. He said the main thing that amazed him was that he asked if he could meet with Dallas for an hour. And uh, Dallas is an author, a philosopher, an academic. Dallas said, sure. Uh, he then met with him for an hour, and he said, I, I was sort of the whole time paying attention to how much time we had, and I had a lot of questions I was trying to move through, and then we were getting near the end of the time, and yet Dallas seemed so relaxed, the entire conversation. And then the hour came, and the hour went, and Dallas said, uh, these are some really good questions. Do you want to keep walking with me? And then he said, we walked for about another 30 or 40 minutes. In fact, it started to get to the point where I started to feel like he's giving a little too much time to me. Like, I have some other things that I might need to move on to as much as I look forward to this conversation. So the pastor said, eventually he asked, uh, Dallas, I'm just surprised you've had this much time for me. And Dallas Willard said, oh, well, when I saw you ask for my time, 
I wanted to give the whole day to be present to what you needed. Now, I know, I know for most of us, that sort of offer feels close to impossible. But I wonder, I wonder in that story, I wonder for us, and I'm going to close with this, uh, I wonder if we return to our initial question, what does it take to love your neighbor? I think the first invitation is to realize we need to pay more attention. We need to pay more attention to the people who are around us. If we do, it will look like us opening up our hearts. If we open up our hearts, we'll find that it's probably not as many resources required as we might have even feared. And then finally, in our schedules, we could create space to offer our time as this great commodity to those who are in need. Now, I just want to pause in prayer, and then we're going to turn to Dr. Sam Stevens and let him teach. Lord Jesus, we are inevitably humbled by the story you have shared with us. Lord, even now as I have shared, I feel the conviction of my heart that there is more love that I could give to my neighbors around me. Lord, teach us as a church to pay attention so you might open our hearts, open our wallets, and open our schedule. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Now we'll turn to hear from Dr. Sam Stevens. One of my favorite missionary authors is E. Stanley Jones. In one of his writings, he states, the kingdom of God turns all our human values upside down. It substitutes humble service for selfish ambition, unconditional love for self-preservation, and inclusive community for social segregation. The parable of the Samaritan addresses three major social and societal evils that we confront, and I'm looking at this from an Indian perspective, social segregation. Number two, marginalization of huge chunks of populations and exploitation. This parable guides us on a transformative journey to embrace the power of the kingdom values in our lives. This teaching of Jesus calls us to a higher standard, urging us to live out values that turn the world's values upside down. Let us delve into the essence of these values, the parable highlights, and discover how they can transform our lives and the world around us. The kingdom of God exchanges social segregation for an inclusive community. Amidst overwhelming social divisions and distractions and, and discrimination, Jesus calls us to embrace all people as valued community members. We are called to welcome and include everyone regardless of race, nationality, socioeconomic status, or any other distinguishing factor. By creating inclusive communities, we mirror the diversity and unity of the kingdom of God. Let us challenge our biases and prejudices reaching out to build bridges of connection and, and understanding with others. The untouchables in India, Dalits as they are known, are the lowest social group in the traditional Indian caste system. Historically, they have faced extreme discrimination, social exclusion, and marginalization. 
considered ritually impure, they have always been looked down upon as untouchable by higher caste Hindus, leading to their segregation and denial of fundamental rights and opportunities. The parable of the Good Samaritan directly addresses the situation of these untouchables and serves as a powerful message of hope and transformation. And it can do to people who are like that in any other part of the world. In the parable, Jesus challenges the prevailing social norms and religious practices by highlighting the compassionate actions of the despised Samaritan. Similarly, the parable challenges the societal norms uh, perpetuating the uh, mistreatment and marginalization of the untouchables. The kingdom of God replaces self-preservation with unconditional love. Instinctive self-preservation leads to extensive exploitation. Right where I live, I see this all the time. There is a significant economic disparity between the rural and urban areas in India. Rural areas generally have lower income and limited access to education and healthcare and basic amenities compared to urban areas. And this gap is widening in India. Secondly, the wealthiest 1% of the Indian population hold nearly half of the country's total wealth. This indicates a significant concentration of wealth in the hands of a few individuals, and they are selfishly increasing that wealth. Despite economic growth, India still faces significant poverty challenges. One third of the population of India, and that's approximately 400 million people, live below the poverty line of $2 a day. Our culture mainly prioritizes self-interest and conditional love. But Jesus challenges his disciples to love unconditionally and unselfishly. He demonstrated this love by giving his life for us while we were still sinners. We are called to extend this love to others, regardless of their background or circumstances. We break down barriers, bring uh, healing and foster reconciliation by showing unconditional love that Jesus exemplified. May we examine our hearts and ask, how can I love others without expectations or conditions? Number three, the kingdom of God substitutes humble service for selfish ambition. Friends, in a world that encourages self-promotion and pursuing personal gain, Jesus teaches us a different way. And that's the kingdom way. He calls us to lay down our own desires, humbly serving others with love and compassion. By adopting a servant's heart, we reflect the selflessness of Christ and inspire others to do the same. Let us ask ourselves, and that's the big question now we all face. How can I put others' needs before my own? The parable of the Good Samaritan holds great relevance for us today as we navigate 
the complexities of our societies, and I'm talking from an Indian perspective, Indian society, it calls us to embrace kingdom values of compassion, communal harmony, and kingdom generosity. Believe me, embracing kingdom values can transform lives and the world. All right, Community Christian Church, how many of you all like hypothetical situations, right? These parables, they give us these situations that uh, either make us feel compelled to learn a lesson that we would otherwise never learn, or they frustrate us because we don't want to have to even imagine what it's like to be in other people's shoes. Um, Parables are a powerful way in which Jesus communicated truths and an open and wider lens to the world, to his disciples and to his listeners. And so when we look at the story of the Good Samaritan, a story I've known since I was a child growing up in church, uh, so many nuances that I did not pay attention to as a kid, uh, learning in different stages of life, we are able to go back to look at scripture and say, wow, I was not aware of this. And, And I do remember always thinking that the Samaritan was was a nice guy. But I didn't realize that Jesus, in his conversation with the disciples as he is teaching this parable, he's actually turning this Samaritan, this great enemy, this tension creator um, for the Jews, he's turning him into the hero. He's turning him into the answered prayer. He's turning him into the one who provides the help needed in a time of need. And so as we look at this story, I made myself the question, and maybe you can ask yourself this very same question, like, who are the people that God has placed around me that I have overlooked because of their past life experiences, their past choices, maybe their level of education, their understanding, their experience? What what is it that has caused me to think, you would not be my helper. You would not be the one who rescues me. You would not be the one who provides answers for me. On one occasion, uh, my family was taking a trip to Tijuana, Mexico. My mom loved going every so often. We live in L.A. I was born and raised in L.A., and we crossed the border to go buy some of the spices we need to have some good food in our home. And so we would cross the border with the family, grab food there, bring these delicious spices home, and prepare incredible meals. And on one occasion, my mom and my aunt decided to go without the husbands. And so... It was the two women and the children. And there we are on our way to Tijuana. And right when we're getting close to San Diego, we get a flat tire. So you've got two women who definitely do not know how to change a tire and a bunch of kids in a station wagon pull over to the side of the freeway. My mom and my aunt step out of the car. They're freaked out. We're forced to sit in the car and we're all scared and We're wondering, there's no cell phone. How are we going to communicate and get some help here? What do we need to do? And out of nowhere, this man pulls to the side of the road, gets out of his car, takes out the tools that he needs to change this tire. Notice how I don't even know what the tools are called. Yeah, because that part of my family hasn't evolved. I have no clue how to change a tire. So he comes out. And I do want to mention the fact that it was... A Caucasian man. 
it was a white man who decided to pull over and help out these two Latina women on the side of the road. Talk about an unlikely hero. My mom and my aunt, complete language barrier, which it was great that he didn't even try to have a conversation. He didn't say a word. He simply went, changed the tire, got back in his car and he left. For years, my mom and my aunt would refer to this man as the angel that the Lord sent to help us. Oftentimes we'll look at somebody, um, how they look, where they work, the lifestyle they've lived, and we've thought, there's no way you're a part of God's answer in my life. Or maybe you've disqualified yourself and said, yeah, there's no way that I can be the answer in your life. When Josh and I came to Long Beach, California to start pastoring here, there was a small group of people who were in this church. And I honestly believed that as people saw us come in and begin to lead, they would feel uncomfortable with Salvadorian dude and a Mexican gal coming to shepherd them. I thought, there's no way they're staying. They're not going to want to be shepherded by a 20-something-year-old Mexican girl and a 32-year-old Salvadoran guy. We're young, and we are not of the same ethnicity. And how wrong were we? But more so, how wrong was I? As I, I would look in the audience, there was always this specific couple that I thought, yeah, they're not going to last here. They're leaving. And I had disqualified them. But honestly, they've become an answer to a prayer in our church through so many seasons. As a matter of fact, just a couple of years into us pastoring here, um, he joined the board of our church and he has become one of our greatest encouragers and cheerleaders. I mean, how amazing is it that he's not only become an answered prayer for us, but He's expressed that we were an answered prayer for him and for his family. I wonder how many times we missed out on some pretty incredible God moments and miracles because we thought we weren't the person for the job or we thought somebody else was in no way capable of providing what God was inviting us to receive from them. If we are sitting here asking ourselves who these people are, then we are finally willing to engage the conversation that those who are different from us, who seem far from us, who seem different in, in culture, in language, um, in history, um, may very well be the people that God is inviting us to engage. And what a gift it is to discover the goodness of God in ways that is unfamiliar to us, because that is how vast and how great and how beautiful our Savior is. May you be inclined to respond to those invitations. God bless you, friends.